NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that wonders why is it that when your arms get shorter, your pockets get deep. Here is the captain. And why, when the berries get bigger, the twig gets smaller. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, we are slow, steady sipping on some Ghost Bridge Imperial Stout from Singing River Brewing Company. This beautiful beer can art features the mythical ghosts that provided privacy to the bootleggers to sell throughout the shoals. ABV 9.6%, garage grade four and a quarter, bottle caps out of five. And let's give some praise and thank you to our friends for helping us out with this week's set of shows. First up, a cheers to Leah. In Essen, Germany. And a big cheers to Joe Wong in Melothian, Virginia. And last but certainly not least, we have a whole team of wonderful listeners that deserve a cheers and a shout out to the office girls at Canine Caviar in Riverside, California. Everyone we mentioned went to our website, helped us out with this week's beer run. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, Beer Run. If you need some more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check out our bonus show called off the record over 160 episodes you don't want to miss this podcast it's oprah's favorite it's will ferrell's favorite it's it's the new kids on the blocks favorite podcast you can find that at truecrimegarage.com and make sure you tell a friend colonel that is enough of the business all right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime We kept telling you that things in the timeline regarding the missing disappearance of Bryceless Pisa were going to get weird. Well, here we go. We're starting off in the wee hours of August 29th, 2013. At 1 a.m., Bryce has a phone call with his mother. This is 
one of several phone calls that he has with his mother Karen leading up to his disappearance. Now, we do not know what they discussed on this phone call. However, we are later told that his mother Karen believed that Bryce would be calling from his apartment, which is located in Rockland, California. Later, we learn, due to phone records, that Bryce was actually calling from a location about an hour's drive south of Rockland. Now, I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption, Captain, that Bryce was calling from his vehicle. It would be really interesting to know what they discussed in this call. Leading up to this point in our timeline, we have Bryce who left his girlfriend's home. Kim, his girlfriend, thought that he was going back to his apartment. This after breaking up with her. He speaks with his mother at Kim's apartment before leaving there. And during that phone call and that conversation, he has already told his mom that he has a lot of things to discuss with her. Now, at 11 a.m., we find out, Karen finds out, that the Toyota Highlander that Bryce is driving was in need of roadside assistance. And the way that this goes down, Captain, is Bryce was sitting in his vehicle, which they state was pretty much in the middle of nowhere, for a couple of hours. Around 11 a.m., Karen, his mother, received a call that at around 9 a.m., two hours earlier, Bryce and the Toyota Highlander needed roadside assistance. So the way that this goes down, and we talked about this on yesterday's show, Bryce was driving a vehicle given to him by his parents. His car insurance paid for by mom and dad. His cell phone, mom and dad. He has a credit card, which I'm assuming is for necessities or emergencies, that is, in fact, mom and dad's credit card. Makes sense. So knowing that information and the little bits of information we have here, I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption that the call received from Karen is from the credit card company saying, hey, there's a charge, by the way, on your card out of town, and this is what it's for. Well, the charge was for a company called Castro Tire and Truck, which is located in Buttonwillow, California. Captain Buttonwillow was my nickname in high school. So Karen either receives a phone call from her car insurance or from her credit card. However, she is notified of this information. What we learn is that there's a charge for Castro Tire and Truck in Buttonwillow, California. And around noon, we have a situation where Bryce needed roadside assistance. Well, what kind of assistance did he need? He needed gas in the tank. His tank had run out of gas while he was driving. So a man goes out to where Bryce is delivering three gallons of gas to Bryce, who's found sitting in his vehicle in what is called, quote, the middle of nowhere. Well, the representative from Castro Tire called Karen and stated that Bryce ran out of gas and that after he went and helped Bryce, Bryce went to go fill up his tank. This is around noon. And at that time, Bryce had estimated that his arrival home. So now Karen is away that, aware that Bryce is on his way to their home in Laguna Niguel. His estimated time of arrival at their home would be 3 to 3.30 p.m. approximately on that day. Well, unfortunately, 
by 6 p.m. So now we have six hours that transpire between Karen knowing where Bryce is, filling up the, the tank with gas at noon. Six hours have gone by, and mom and dad don't know where Bryce is. He should have been home hours ago. So what do they do? They do the right thing here. They call in to the authorities and report their son missing. So a missing person's report is filed on Bryce, less pieces be half. I mean, maybe if you're trying to get to the next exit or something like that, that you would miss that you're running low on gas, or maybe there's something wrong with your gauge. But especially when I'm driving long distance, one of the things that I'm constantly checking is my speed and how much gas I have and when should I stop. And it just seems like he was paying no attention to this. Or may not have cared for any number of reasons. Well, again, he could have been in a manic state. But it's just difficult to think that he would be in a manic state when his mom is saying he's not acting any different. And then maybe through the text messages, the girlfriend would be like, well, he's not really acting that much different. But he went to visit her. And it wasn't like she is, you know, waving all these red flags saying, He was acting like a madman. So this is where things get incredibly wonky, right? So we have the person, the missing persons report that's filed by his parents. I'm guessing that they're able to put these things into action so quickly because these items belong to them or they're the ones making the payments on them. So likely Bryce's phone is in their name. The parents call AT&T and do an emergency ping on the phone. The ping showed that Bryce was still in Buttonwillow. Right. He's been he's been out of contact for long enough. We're concerned that he's missing. It's been about six hours or so since we've talked to him. So we file a missing persons report. Yet when we ping his phone, his phone is still in the general area where he was six hours prior. Right. Where the car broke down. Where well, it ran out of gas. Well, where, yeah. So the police go out there looking for Bryce. And they find him in a location that is reported to be only eight miles away from where he was at noon. The deputies say that Bryce was, he seemed pretty lucid. Now, they were a little reluctant. They're wondering why he's been reported missing, yet he's pretty close to where he was last time he spoke to anybody. Right. And so they do submit him to a field sobriety test to make sure everything's fine, but he passes this test. How bizarre, how bizarre. And... They're telling him, hey, you need to call your parents. Let them know where you are at because they we're only out here looking for you because they are so worried that they filed a missing persons report about you. Well, I like this. Uh, You know, I know a lot of parents will use owning the cell phone and owning the car and things like that to their benefit as far as we can take this away from you if you don't want to act accordingly to what we want. But it just seems like he has really good parents, really good family, really good friends. You got a friend that's calling your mother. Nobody wants to call your friend's mother. You got really good friends. He takes off. This doesn't make any sense, but they're 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 smart, intelligent individuals going, hey, we have, these are our phones. We can use this technology to our advantage because he's so far away. It, but it just doesn't make any sense that, like you said, what he's eight miles away from where he originally was six hours prior. 
doesn't make any sense unless unless he told the officers well, I pulled over to take a nap or something. Well, and obviously during all of this time, the parents are trying to get a hold of him. He's not answering his phone. We don't know why. Bryce is not here, unfortunately, to tell us why he was choosing not to answer his phone. Maybe the phone was dead. I don't know. But they report him missing. The police find him. He's only eight miles away where he was. The The general story is this, Captain, that he travels about eight miles in the course of nine hours. He was driving very slow. I think I could push a Toyota Highlander on foot. Maybe that's what he decided to do. I don't want to use any of this gas. I'm going to get out and push. Eight miles in, in about nine hours and then just be shredded for the rest of my life. But he doesn't want to talk to his parents, according to the police. They make him speak with his parents via his cell phone. During this, he agrees that he's going to be coming home. Now, the story here gets a little weird because we have a lot of people kind of coming in and out of the story and whatever Bryce is up to, nobody seems to really know what he is up to because, again, eight miles traveled in the course of nine hours. He gets help from this Christian fellow from Castro who gives him three gallons of gas. He fills up his tank, and he's only three hours away from his parents' home, yet he doesn't seem to be making any headway to getting there, nor does he seem to care to get there at this point. And... Then again, Christian goes back out from the Castro tire and truck, and he finds Bryce once again. Now, tell me he's made it more than eight miles. I believe this is in the same location as before, where he was located before, the, the exact same Come on, location. man. This is freaking bizarre. And so Christian's talking to Karen yeah. on the phone, Bryce's mom, saying, Look, he, he's in the same spot. It just doesn't make sense. He's here almost 10 hours now after the first time that he needed roadside assistance. Again, the police had talked to him earlier. There were no, they didn't see any signs of drugs or alcohol. So is he just on the side of the road? He passes a field sobriety test. From my understanding, Captain, he's just sitting in his car, sitting in his Toyota Highlander. On the side of the road. When he is approached by Christian this time, Christian, Christian, this guy, he seems like a very good guy. He's This is above and beyond when it comes to roadside assistance. Definitely. I've had tow trucks drive right past me when I'm clearly the only person <laughs> on the road in need of the roadside assistance. Yeah, but I think, look, the true crime community in the last five years have looked at cars on the side of the road or you know, abandoned vehicle or somebody in their vehicle on the side of the road completely different than the normal population. So this guy could be a, a, a true crime community guy and knows that a story like this goes from a kid acting strange to we haven't seen him in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So Bryce tells the police he's just, you know, they want to know why, what, what are you doing? Just sitting here. He says, I'm blowing off some steam. Again, he didn't want to talk to his parents. They make him talk to his parents. Then hours later, a few hours later, when Christian, the, the, the roadside assistance guy, finds Bryce again, still sitting on the side of the road, Christian's the one that calls Bryce's mother to let her know, hey, he, he's still here. And so Christian speaks with Bryce, and Bryce tells Christian, everything's okay, I'm going to get a soda at a nearby gas station, get some caffeine in me, and then I'm going to continue my drive and head home. So approximately, depending on what timeline you look at, we're anywhere from 10 
to 13, and most timelines put this more at the 12 and 13 hours later, 12 to 13 hours after Bryce arrived in this general location, he's finally on his way home. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. And we can say that it it appears that he is finally on his way home because Christian agrees, or maybe he comes up with the idea when he's talking to Bryce's parents, he says, look, I'll even follow him south on Interstate 5 for a few miles, a handful of miles, to make sure that he is heading in the right direction, that he is, in fact, going home. Well, at this rate, he's going to get home in time for Christmas. We're going to fast forward here just a little bit in the timeline, Captain, because the next morning at roughly 8 a.m., the police show up to the Las Pisas house. This is to ask about their vehicle, a 2003 Toyota Highlander. They wanted to know if they owned one, if the vehicle had been stolen. If so, why didn't they report it stolen? Why do you ask? Well, because we found it. It's been involved in a pretty serious car accident and found a considerable distance away from their home. The Las Pisas explained to the police, no, that car, that vehicle is being driven by our son who is off and away at college And in fact, he called us last night saying he's driving home to our house. We haven't heard from him in several hours. We were up on the phone with him late last night. He had been reported missing. He needed roadside assistance. And now you're telling us that our son has been in a major car accident. I mean, can you imagine what's going through his parents' mind at this point? I mean, this would be awful you you just feel so helpless for them well and when you hear about this you go okay well we kind of knew that it was going this way this doesn't seem so shocking and surprising to us listeners but to the less pieces it completely jars them it's it's completely shocking to them because one thing that we did not include yet in the timeline was a 2 a.m phone call so at 8 a.m roughly the police are there saying hey there's a problem with the vehicle And just six hours prior, the Las Pisas were on the phone with their son. So he finally calls them. He calls them, yes. Heading towards his house, he ends up calling his parents. And again, look, I'm not the kind of kid or I wasn't the kind of um, child to my parents that after the first day of college, especially sophomore year, maybe your freshman year, you're going, hey, mom, this is what's going on. But sophomore year, he just spent all summer with them. He's a good kid. They have a good relationship. He calls his mom to let her know, hey, I like my first two classes. Things are going well. And then there's this time period where he's traveling home but not traveling home. And he's not talking with his parents. And his parents are trying to call. He's not answering. And then he finally makes contact with them. Yes, and this is weird because... His vehicle is found, it's it's on its side. It's been in a major car accident. It's a single vehicle accident, okay? Bryce is not located anywhere near the vehicle, not in the vehicle, not around the vehicle. The vehicle's found abandoned, air quotes, abandoned at Castaic Lake, which is roughly about two hours north of Laguna Niguel, where the parents live. And roughly about an hour south of Button Willow, California, where we know he was when he needed the roadside assistance. So he did travel 
60 miles-ish before this accident took place. Now, what's interesting, though, is that we know that at 2 a.m., here's the 2 a.m. phone call from Bryce to his parents. We know this based off of a report from the local news there. And it says, quote, he took a detour at 2.08 a.m. and got off of the Interstate 5 in a suburban area and was going to sleep in his car, his mother told Santa Clarita News. She says, I told him to call me when he got up the next morning. So basically the, the story is this, Captain, that he says he's too tired to drive, which makes a lot of sense based off of everything we know in the timeline so far. He's going to need to pull over, get a little bit of rest. This is going to extend the period of time that he will be on the road. It will extend the period of time till he gets back to mom and dad's house. Well, let's be clear on that for a second. This guy needs sleep. Most people would need sleep just driving through the night or sitting at one spot for hours upon hours. We have no clue what he was doing during that time period or why he was doing that. But what we also don't know is that he was taking some kind of prescription medication that he wasn't supposed to be on, and we don't know the last time he actually did sleep. Exactly. And to add a little more detail to the wreckage, it states that the reports are that the vehicle was found around 5.15 a.m. that morning. And the vehicle had tumbled approximately 15 feet down a ravine and landed on its passenger side off of Main Ramp Road, just a few hundred feet from Lake Hughes Road. Bryce's cell phone, wallet, laptop, and clothing were found in the car. This report states in the car. Some of the reports I've reviewed, Captain, state that some of those items were in fact located at the scene, but were located and found outside of the vehicle. And of course, Bryce is nowhere to be found. His family would later say there the back window was was smashed out. Now, think about this this wreckage the way that it's described here. Fifteen feet down a ravine, landed. That that implies that the vehicle was airborne at some point, right? It landed on its passenger side off of Main Ramp Road. If you look this thing up. And this was awfully disappointing, and I'm not going to stick on this topic for too long, but it was rather aggravating. I could find pictures of the Highlander after the fact, after it had been towed from the scene. I could not find any pictures of the Highlander at the actual wreck scene where it was found and in the state that it was found. The thing that was aggravating about that, not because we couldn't describe it to you because those pictures aren't available, or at least I couldn't find them, is that the there are several websites that give the impression that those pictures are, in fact, available, and they are not. Take a closer look at those pictures that people are claiming to be Bryce's vehicle lying on its side. First off, the scene is not as described in the news, and second of all, that's not an SUV. That's a car. And thirdly, that car appears to be a Honda. So <laughs> I don't know why people were trying to pass that off as some kind of scene footage or scene picture taken from the wreckage scene. But my eyes tell me that that is not Bryce's vehicle. His family say that it looked to them like Bryce had used a tool 
to break out the back window of the vehicle before crawling out, which would make sense. That would be, if the vehicle's lying on its side, that would be one of the more easier ways to get out, provided that he couldn't access the doors. Maybe the doors are jammed or couldn't get or was not in a state to pull himself up and through one of those doors after figuring out how to open it. The tool here, I wish that we had a better description of what that tool was or the name for it other than just a tool. But one report that I did find stated that they believe the tool was something that was located in the center console. So it sounds like a an emergency type situation tool that was purposely kept in the vehicle. Now, the other troubling thing here, though, too, is they go out, they being law enforcement and the local authorities, the fire department, what have you, they're doing all the necessary searches, right? We're searching via land, sea, and air looking for this guy. What happened to this dude? There's nothing at the scene. It's a pretty horrific crash for a vehicle to be found on on its side. But there's nothing at the scene that's indicating to those experts, to those who unfortunately have to deal with this type of situation and see this kind of wreckage. There's what? nothing at the scene that tells them that, oh, this guy, he, he should have died at the scene or, or, or did die or something happened to him here that would cause him to expire soon. There was not enough blood or anything like that that they found at the scene that they were overly concerned. It had looked to them like, yes, this was a bad crash. Yes, this was a bad wreck. But this dude probably got out, managed to get out and walk away. Now, why he left all of his personal belongings here, we don't know. Yeah, you'd think he'd at least take his cell phone to make the call. But maybe he got out of the vehicle and just didn't feel safe trying to go back into it. I mean, there's so many things that just don't line up. They don't make a lot of sense. But then the other thing, like we said, he had these prescription pills. We don't know if he had any of these pills still on him, if he was still taking these pills or not. And so we really don't know what kind of state of mind he was in because we have conflicting stories all around of, of, of what demeanor he's in. Even though I think you would have to want to, I want to believe his parents and I want to believe the girlfriend. I want to believe law enforcement that when we talked to him, he seemed fine. He seemed okay. But then why are all his actions so confusing? Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. 
I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. 
Head to factormeals.com slash true crime garage 50 and use code true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code true crime garage 50 at factormeals.com slash true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morf. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. We dive into a variety of cases in both the U.S. and abroad. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of, like the Pocatello babysitter murders or the canal murders. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime, like the Tylenol murders and the Lindbergh kidnapping. We also dive into cases that are currently breaking thanks to DNA and forensic genealogy. Sometimes you'll hear from people connected to the cases, like the interview we did with the brother-in-law of the Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now, including full seasons covering the Zodiac Killer, the Golden State Killer, and Ted Bundy, and new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, we are back. Hotel, motel, holiday in. Cheers to you all. Cheers to you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. Now, another report that I have here states that it was obvious that the vehicle had plummeted down a 25-foot embankment before smashing onto the road below. Just to describe the scene the best I can, I've never been to this location, but... The way that it's described to me is, and this is based off of some evidence that the police would later release. So the police say that the place where his vehicle was found, the Castaic area, is located right off of Interstate 5, about 90 miles north of where his parents lived. Vehicles traveling can get off of the interstate exit onto Lake Hughes Road, which leads up a hill to Castaic Lake Recreation Area. There is a surveillance camera that takes a photo of every license plate of the vehicles that drive by. This camera is going to provide us with some evidence here and fill in some of the blanks, but not all of them, unfortunately. What we learn from this surveillance footage is that at 2.15 a.m., Bryce drives by this camera, takes his picture. This is just a few minutes after he's telling his mother that he was tired and he was going to find some place to park so he could sleep for a little bit and then continue the drive. But then, oddly enough, at 4.29 a.m., Bryce is seen on surveillance footage driving by the same location again. It's just so bizarre. We have no idea. Nobody can piece together where Bryce was from the time that that surveillance camera took the picture of his vehicle at 2.15 a.m. and then took the picture of his, of his vehicle again at 4.29 a.m. Now, there are no cameras tracking cars going down the hill to where his vehicle was eventually found. So we can't say with any level of certainty how long the vehicle was there before it was found. 
wrecked on the road. So the exact time of the accident remains unknown to this day. But we do know that the surveillance camera spotted Bryce driving at 429 a.m., and then we do know that the vehicle was found by 5.30 a.m. So it doesn't appear like a great amount of time passed before the vehicle was located. But within that short window of time, Bryce disappears. Now, once all of the evidence was analyzed from the wreck, the police realized this was no accident. Bryce had sped down the ravine with the accelerator down all of the way. They're basing this off of the tire tracks that they found. They could determine that he was not trying to prevent a wreck. In all likelihood, he was racing toward a wreck. So they determined that Bryce had drove up the hill on Lake Hughes Road and then entered an access and then entered an access area for a cell phone tower. They followed his tire tracks past that tower, which is located at the top of a steep embankment. Then they're basing off of the evidence found at the scene that his vehicle then sped downhill until it crashed onto the access road. People that have been to this scene has said that they believe that Bryce's intentions may have been to drive into the lake that from where from his vantage point it would appear that if he drove at that speed that he may crash into the lake rather than the road below because you would not be able to see the road below from that elevated area right again this is based off of people that have said that they have been there and described it as such we do know that the police find the 2003 beige Toyota Highlander on its side on Main Ramp Road, again about 100 feet from Lake Hughes Road near Castaic Lake. The location is about 40 miles north of Los Angeles, 90 miles south of Button Willow, which we know he was there earlier. One of the back windows had been smashed out from the inside, according to police. The family says they believe that Bryce used a tool that was stored in the console to bust out that window. Bryce's cell phone and laptop were found inside the vehicle. His duffel bag was found on the ground not far from the broken window. The duffel bag was found unzipped, and several people have said that it looked like somebody had looked through it. His clothing and wallet were inside the bag. Again, police felt like this was a violent crash, but they did not think that Bryce would be seriously injured. And well, they found tough. no drag marks to suggest that he could not walk. Well, that's tough, too, because sometimes when you're traveling and you have your travel bag, you'll be going through it as you drive. Oh, you know, I, I got some gum in there or I got a drink in there or whatever. So it's hard to know, was the bag, did he go through the bag before the crash or did he go through the bag after the crash? Of course, not finding Bryce at the scene. They speak with his parents, notify them about the vehicle being wrecked, notify them about Bryce being missing. They go out and do all of the normal detective work, right? They interview all the people that spent time with Bryce recently leading up to his disappearance. And they tell a lot of the same stories that we told here today. 
One piece of evidence that's awfully interesting to me here, Captain, is that we do know that they used dogs to try to track a scent, Bryce's scent from the vehicle. And the scent led them to two different spots. It led them to the lake, Castaic Lake, but it also led them down a trail to a dam on the lake. And then it continued, they continued to follow a scent or track something to the top of the dam and then south on a spillway on the western side of the lake before heading towards a truck stop. Once we get to the truck stop, the dogs aren't signaling that they're tracking anything anymore. So people have looked at this a couple different ways. A thought that maybe he went up to that dam area and jumped in. Maybe it was his goal to crash the vehicle into the lake And after being unsuccessful, he went about it a different manner. They did search that lake. They've searched that lake quite a bit and been unsuccessful finding anything related to Bryce. The truck stop is really interesting to me, too. Again, unfortunately, these dogs, they're tracking Bryce's scent, or so we are to believe, but they can't tell us exactly what they are tracking. This really led to several weeks of investigation by police. And I know it's still an open case to this day, but two weeks in police had to scale back the search because they had searched all the areas that they could think of that he could be based off of statements from people that they interviewed based off of the movements of his vehicle, based off of cell phone tower pings. And after two weeks, they had no evidence pointing them in any direction in particular of where to look next. Like we said yesterday, last week marked nine years since Bryceless pieces last been seen. Now, police have received several calls from several people saying that they have seen him, but they have been unable to confirm any of these actual sightings. I do know of one situation where the police went to another state. They're told, hey, Bryceless Peace is there. He's living there. This is years later. They send a detective out there. They find the man that they believe is the man that was reported as being Bryceless Pisa. They confirm that man's identity. He's not Bryce. The detective basically tells the news I interviewed that man. He's not Bryce, but I will tell you that he could be Bryce's twin. That's how close he looked like Bryce's pizza. So here we sit nine years later, and this is all a big mystery. There's so much speculation out there as to what happened to Bryce. Where could he be? There are people that say maybe this was some kind of drug deal gone wrong that maybe he was sitting there waiting on a ride for somebody to pick him up. Maybe he was sitting there waiting for a dealer to show up. To me, I look at this situation and I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned for this man's well-being. I see a situation, a series of events where I don't think he knew exactly what he was doing. I think he felt like he needed to make some change and maybe that change needed to be drastic. But I think he was kind of winging it and he was kind of making it up as he went along. Yeah. As he's sleep deprived. And again, how much 
of this medication was still in him and how much of this alcohol was still in him in his system. You know, we look at these cases and there's a lot of people that say Bryceless pieces, his disappearance is as mysterious or as much of a mystery as these other ones. A lot of times people say Brandon Lawson. I, that to me, the comparison makes zero sense. Brandon Lawson's movements for the most part, make a whole lot of sense leading up to the nine one one call. Bryce's movements and actions seem to make zero sense. At least they make zero sense to me. That's why I think he was behaving erratically, acting impulsively. He wanted to make some drastic change. He just didn't know what that was or how to go about doing it. He was a young man, confused, stressed out, tired, feeling the effects, the after effects of drug and alcohol. And I don't know. I think I can go along with the idea that maybe he did try to crash his vehicle into that lake unsuccessfully. Yeah, but here's the twist. Is he was only in this state really for maybe a week and a half, two weeks leading up to this point? From every person's account before he went back to school, everything was fine. He was back at home visiting friends visiting family family never said he was odd during the summer friends never said he was odd during the summer and he took this extra class and it seems like there was it's almost like the weirdness once he got back on campus the weirdness it like turned on like turning on the light it happened that fast it's very confusing if you want to make comparisons to other cases that we've covered again This case often gets compared to other missing persons cases. I think it reminds me a little bit more of Jonathan Luna, who was in fact, they found Jonathan Luna. There's a debate. Did he die by suicide or by murder? I personally think it was a murder. We reviewed that case, that very bizarre case in episodes 572 and 573. His body was discovered in December of 2003, but Just like Jonathan's case, to me, Bryce, his movements and his actions make little to no sense leading up to Bryce's disappearance or Jonathan Luna's murder. In fact, the actions and behavior leading up to both of those situations only raise more questions than providing answers. It reminds me a lot of the Maramura case, too. Well, yeah, somebody driving and getting in a wreck. Now, I tend to I want to be a glass half full person here, and I think that there is some evidence to suggest that this might be the case. You know, Captain, I rarely, rarely ever say this when we review these types of cases. But here I I just feel like maybe this is one of those cases where this dude took off. He went off somewhere for whatever reason and he decided to start a new life. And I think if that if that is the case, if that could be the case, then maybe leaving all those personal belongings there at the scene of the wreck is all a part of it, right? These were all ways that mom and dad, his old life was tracking him leading up to that point. The car, the car insurance, the cell phone, the credit card, the roadside assistance. They were all able to keep tabs on him even when his movements and travels made no sense. 
And so he decided to leave those items right where he wrecked the car. Walk off, head over to that truck stop, thumb a ride, and start a new life. And maybe out there somewhere there's some trucker that drove Bryce to greener pastures or what he hoped to be greener pastures. And he knows the reasons why. He or she, the driver of that truck, know the reasons why Bryce decided to leave it all behind. Well, there's the statement that he makes to his mother there that there's some things that he needs to discuss with her. And maybe there was something that he learned about himself or something he knew about himself that he knew it was time to share with the rest of the world. So then when he gets back to college, he doesn't really know how to do that and decides to drink and take these prescription pills to kind of just put that on hold for a minute. And then when there's that call, when his friend makes the call to the mother, this is maybe the moment where Bryce is realizing, I, I, I can't just run away from life. I can't just push this off. I can't keep going down this uh, this dark rabbit hole. Let me deal with this stuff now. And that's where it makes no sense on him starting a new life because you broke up with your girlfriend through text. If you're interested in starting a new life, you don't owe her anything. You're not going to feel like you owe her anything. You gave her the answers through the text message. You could just leave the next day. Again, I don't think it was planned. That's why I said I think that his actions were erratic and impulsive. I think he tried to crash the vehicle into the lake. And when that didn't work, that's when he decided to walk away. Yeah. And started okay, so life. I'm going to say this and uh, no laughing at me. Okay. I'm going to. You brought up some cases this reminds you of. And right. some that it didn't remind me of. <laughs> um, but no laughing at this one. And, uh, let me explain it before you make any judgment calls here. To me, this is very similar to Elisa Lamb. We have all these actions that we know happen because we can track them through. They're documented. Right. They're just not on video footage for us to all these actions that she made in the in the elevator that seem to make no sense to us. We have the same thing happening with Bryce. I think he walks away from that vehicle and he probably is deceased somewhere. We just haven't found him yet. And where basically the whole highway and that whole area was basically Bryce's hotel where he was losing it and and I think that's what this case reminds me of and it's it's one of the most confusing cases and perplexing cases I think we ever covered because I can't say that you're wrong what whatever your gut is telling you and whatever evidence is leading you to that outcome there's no gut feeling in my body other than he's probably not with us anymore. His parents are of the belief, or at least they've been vocal about this in the past saying that they believe there's a chance he sustained a, a pretty violent head injury during the, the course of that crash. And maybe he walked away with severe amnesia, not 
really knowing who he was, where he was, uh, or what was going on, or who, or who's to say how that works, what he would believe at that point. You know, I remember those stories on Unsolved Mysteries when I was a kid and always thought, well, this seems impossible to me. But the, the older I've got, I can't rule that out. I can't rule that possibility out. Now, some good things here to keep a little light on for everybody, to keep a little light on for Bryce. His information has been entered into the National Missing Persons Database. His fingerprints, dental records, and DNA are on file in databases. Months after his disappearance, the family hired a private investigator. The investigator states that they believe that Bryce intended to return home and bases that theory on Bryce's GPS coordinates. So this investigator must believe that something happened, something interfered with him making it home that night. The police seem to believe that he did walk away and that had he passed away that they would have found him and that maybe he did walk away to start a new life. Priceless Pisa at the time of his disappearance, he was five foot, 11 inches tall, 170 pounds with bright red hair. Uh, some descriptions say green eyes. Some say blue eyes, but one very distinctive mark one very distinctive identifier that Bryce has is this tattoo. It's a rather large tattoo. It's a tattoo of a Taurus bullhead and Roman numerals of his birthday, which is located on his left shoulder. He was wearing white cargo shorts and a blue and white checkered shirt and red Nike tennis shoes at the time. If anybody has any information at all, please call the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department at 323-890-5500. His parents have never discontinued their search for him and hope to know what happened to their son one day. His parents still post to a Facebook page devoted to finding their son. Maybe someday soon we can all discover what happened or we will know the truth if he should come back or if Bryce is ever located. And I just feel so bad for his family and his friends and people that were trying to help him, especially his mother staying up trying to communicate with him. We don't know exactly what was said, but if he did walk away, it's like you have a lot of people that love and care about you. You could come back no matter what, you know, no matter what happened, and at least tell your family that you're okay. And not, I mean, because no matter what happened, you your friends and family don't deserve to be put through this if you're the one putting them through it my gut doesn't lean that way but or my thoughts don't lean that way but that would be my message to bryce earlier this year on april 30th it would have been bryce's 28th birthday as we said last week it's been nine years since he went missing yet twitter and other social media sites are still full of his missing post with so many asking the same question, where is Bryceless Pisa? And remember, there is a Find Bryceless Pisa Facebook page. Again, anyone with any information from 2013 or more recently that can help investigators locate Bryce, please call 323-890-5500 or to provide information anonymously, call Crime Stoppers at 800 222 
T-I-P-S, which is 8477, or use your smartphone and download the Crime Stoppers Tips mobile app or go to the website www.lacrimestoppers.org. Well, and thank you so much for joining us here back in the garage. We want to hear from you. Go to truecrimegarage.com and make sure you leave your thoughts and opinions on the blog. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? Yes, we do, Captain. Last week and the week before, we spent so much time talking about the still unsolved case of Nancy Eagleson up in Paulding, Ohio, which is rather close to Michigan, the great state of Michigan, and got me thinking about the old serial killer case from the late 60s. And the best book that is on that case is called The Michigan Murders. This is by Edward Keyes. This is an award-winning book from back in the day. We may have even recommended this one a long time ago before we even started putting the recommendations on the website. But this is a great book. It's a true crime book that should be on everybody's bookshelves. That's called The Michigan Murders. It's about a serial case out of the University of Eastern Michigan. Check that out. You can find that great recommendation, that title, and many others on our website on the recommended page. Yeah, and until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.